Manscaped is a new partner and they are here to remind you all to keep your balls clean, <laughs> especially during this quarantine, everyone. I know here uh, on this podcast, everyone is having a kick of me saying that out loud. And that is exactly what Lindsay wanted. So I hope I can make you laugh at least. Um, Manscaped is all about ball is life and they want to assist you when it's time for you to hit your game winner. Manscaped is the best in men's below the belt grooming and they have the right tools for the job. But as we learned from Twitter, it's not just your, your area. Henry went and shaved his legs. Yeah, like literally anything below the belt, it will handle all the way down to the toes. Um, you should try it on that puby beard you've got going. <laughs> Thank you. I, think, oh, I don't God. think that's fair. I mean, I'll admit it's bad. I'm not sure about puby, though. Dang, I'm glad I shaved before this podcast now. Like, <laughs> oh, um, Henry, roasted. why did you decide to shave your legs? Because you were I bored? Couldn't. Well, yeah, that's obviously the, the, the driving force behind every decision I am making at this point. But uh, I just really couldn't find the line. Like, I didn't know where you're supposed to stop. Um, I just kind of, like, kept going a bit because I was like, you don't want to jump from this all the way to just, like, never been touched before. And so then I was like, I kept trimming and trimming and trimming and trimming. And then eventually you get to the knee and you're like, huh, well, this is a deciding point because the hair kind of <laughs> changes. But I was like, I can't just let it go from this short to this long. And so I just kept trimming. So I have very short leg hair all the way down to the toes which I didn't even realize that they, there was that much hair there. So now this makes a little more sense because, I mean, I could see how, you know, you, you, it's just so fun to use the trimmer. You get one area and then it's like, well, this uh, inner thigh's looking uh, pretty ungroomed. We got to take care of that. And then you just keep going and going and, you know, evening things out. And I could see how you'd get down to the toes. I, now yeah, now no. it at least makes more sense. And you all don't. of a sudden there's like a quarter inch all the way through. You don't have to groom every run. Some <laughs> runs need to be powder runs. Mm. Oh, well said. Yeah. Well, yeah. the lawnmower is what Henry used, and it is the third generation electric trimmer. Features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Did you cut yourself at all? Not even once. It just ran perfectly through all of my hair. You also get the perfect package 3.0 kit, and that comes with a bunch of, uh, with the lawnmower, and then some grooming products for your region. That's true. Yes. Ball deodorant. Ball deodorant. The deodorant, highly recommended. Okay, well, um, use code DNVR20 for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Do not forget to use DNVR20 to get 20% off the Perfect Package 3.0 kit. It comes also with a fun little uh, toiletry bag. That I, that one, that's nice. I thought yeah. I can comment on that. Uh, Very nice. But... Yeah, don't forget to use DNVR20 for 20% off. All right, let's jump into the show. Nobody out. Three and two on Charlotte. Jokic gets it across the timeline. Gets a high pick and pop with Murray. Lindsey breaking through. Taken away by Nathan McKinnon. Two on two with Landeskog. He has done it again. Vaughn Miller, ladies and gentlemen. Dunk two hands. Nikola Jokic. Save me by Grubauer with the left pad. Oh, goodness gracious me. Take a good look. You won't see it for long. Two run home run. Trevor Story. Lock. And so touchdown. Number two for Sutton. Got it. Oh, man. 
Welcome into the Denver Sports Podcast presented by Breckenridge Brewery. I am wearing one of my favorite Breckenridge Brewery shirts. It is time to get a beer as it is reaching four o'clock. Uh, Andre is wearing an awesome hat. Be sure to go support Breckenridge Brewery. If you're in the Denver area, you can order uh, their 15 can sampler or any other of their beers on Drizzly. And then also you can order food from the farmhouse and their food there is so good. They have a smoker. I had a pulled pork sandwich the other day and it was amazing. Uh, so highly recommend. They also expanded their delivery for Denver. So there's a chance that you're more on their delivery feed? Radar? Radar. There we go. Thank you. Um, But yeah, and then what was the, if you use DNV, if you use the code DNVR, you'll get $5 off. Yeah, you just have to, you just have to mention DNVR when you call your order in. There you go. They also do uh, curbside pickup. And of course, as we've all tweeted, uh, everyone knows, try to support local restaurants, um, no matter where you're listening to this podcast from, Blake Street Tavern, Breckenridge Brewery, all those places. Um, they need our help right now. So guys, we're going to start the show off with some friendly banter. How's everyone doing in this quarantine life? Is it like day 11 now? Days don't exist really anymore, but how's everyone doing? Henry, let's start with you. How's, how's quarantine life? Well, I don't have leg hair, so there's a start. <laughs> um, basically, I've just been locked inside. I don't know, like, it looks like the weather's nice, but it might just be sunny and also cold. No, it's beautiful. You should I know. I, it's just been so weird. Like, when you can't go outside, time doesn't exist. Like, it's just like, is it 2 a.m.? Is it 2 p.m.? Does it matter anyway? Like, not really. Thanks. I was curious, is Tinder and like dating apps, are they popping off right now or are they really slow because there's no like means to an end? The the jokes right now are so easy that if you can get a match, the conversation will just flow. It's like, yeah, it's too bad we can't quarantine together, right? Like, oh yeah. And then all of a sudden you're off and running. That's all you have to talk about. It's actually like, if you can get a match at this point, smooth sailing. I've like- noticed more active people recently. It seems like, it seems like there's more profiles pop in which is weird because like you said you can't Mm -hmm. meet up but people are lonely during this quarantine time i went to the grocery store and i was like what i was approached by multiple people i'm like what "What is going on yeah one dude was like hey like this is totally the worst inappropriate time to ask you but like do you have a boyfriend i'm like yeah i do he's right over there he's like oh don't tell him i came up to you and like ran away i'm like (laughs) what is going on and then i got a dm what saying if the coronavirus doesn't take you out can i so you know people are real lonely right now. <laughs> they are see also, and again like that's the type of stuff if the coronavirus like the, those conversations are just so simple to start up did i just give you a pickup line henry yep using it later <laughs> don't use that it's already played out i've already seen it in memes and everything oh gross. um <laughs> hank you should say because like there, i believe there's like a fine involved right? If you break the stay at home order, you should say like, I would be willing to break it for you, but don't actually do it. But just like, I don't want to like kill all of our grandparents, but yeah. Jesus. Well, I mean, that's the point, right? That's (laughs) all locked inside. Like there's the fine, but then there's also the flattening the curve and helping everyone from getting it. Anyways, Justin, how are you doing? How's quarantine life over in Fort Collins? Well, I actually just got the text message saying officially that Larimer County is on lockdown, so I'm much like my friends in Denver. I can't leave. I'm starting to feel the uh, just how real this whole situation is yeah. getting. I mean, we've been on 
you know, quarantine basically for the last like two weeks. But, you know, now that we like actually can't leave, it's like, oh God, this is, this is here. This is legit. Yeah. The DNVR watches is something that we've started doing since last week where we watch old games um, or shows like Love is Blind to keep entertained and I'll live tweet at the same time. Um, We're going to continue doing that after quarantine, but it was a perfect time to start now. And it's been fun and a nice distraction to watch hockey, to watch basketball, um, and even watch a dumb show like Love is Blind to just kind of stay off of CNN and all the news sites because it definitely gets a little draining going outside has really been good if you can like on your balcony or whatever but definitely if you haven't checked out DNVR watches you definitely should we are watching the a film by Ken Burns baseball um, inning by inning we are watching the Avs Stanley Cup run in 2001 we are watching the 2009 round one uh, playoff series for Nuggets and so it's been it's been really entertaining. Oh, and we're also watching some Nuggets games or some Rockies games. And we just added Broncos to the schedule and college Saturdays where we get to watch college football, some basketball games, all of that on Saturdays. So we really have you covered every single day of the week with DNVR watches. And tonight we have I highly recommend the Nuggets game tonight. That's all I'll say. It's a good one. Ooh. Oh, no spoilers. No spoilers. Okay. But it's been it's... fun watching young Chris Paul go against those Nuggets. Oh, it's oh extra my God. fun it's been tonight. fun watching Chauncey Billups dominate. Back in so those awesome. days, to hit those kind of threes was like unheard of. People had never seen it before. How oh, about yeah. Chris mm-hmm. Anderson being like literally unstoppable unless you foul him? And then you send him to the free throw line and he's ju- he can't do anything. And so it's like, except unsta- for that one thing. I think unstoppable is a really, really <laughs> generous term. <laughs> except for that one way. Like, like, there's only one way you can stop him, and it will stop him literally every time. Like, there's, he was so close to being such a great player. I, I don't – he didn't ever get any, like, offensive touches. Like, all he ever got was, like, tip dunks and offensive rebounds. Unstoppable. unstoppable. All effort all the time. That's all you need from the Birdman, baby. Block yeah. shots and pump us up. Him and J.R. Smith. Nuggets need to bring back J.R. Smith. Birdman was a bit like a poor man's Anthony Davis rewatching it. Like, that guy had some sneaky defensive range for a big guy. I think now we would identify your... him as a switchable big. You guys are out of your mind. I'm like the biggest wow, Birdman I mean... fan ever, and you're making me pull back the reins on Birdman. <laughs> I think I might actually have a Birdman jersey in my closet. I, it's, like a, I... it's, it's like Remax. They gave away at a game I went to. Oh, jeez. Oh, like a jersey? No, it's like a full-on jersey. It says, like, Remax in the name spot, but it's like the number 11. I think the Rockies do that, too, where they do, like, the jerseys with the King Supers logo or whatever, but it's still technically, like, kind of a jersey. Yeah. Uh, I talked about this on uh, the last pod that we did, but even watching for hockey, watching uh, Sackick be amazing, and um, I'm blanking on names. Ray Bork scored the last goal, or one of the goals recently, and that was awesome. Um, so it's been fun just being entertained by the nostalgia of all of that. But thankfully, we do have the NFL, and we do have some Broncos, and we have the draft. So this podcast, if you haven't noticed, we have Henry, uh, we have Justin Michael. We've got Buffs, Rams, Broncos, and of course, our amazing analytics, film, all that stuff with Andre Simone on here too, and Brian Konigsberg is on here. 
Let's jump into some Broncos news. They keep busy. They agreed to a one-year deal with Jeremiah Tachu on Monday. What would you guys think of that move, bringing him back? He definitely played a big role after Bradley Chubb got hurt. Sure. Jeremiah Tachu getting the headline introduction here. Well, um, <laughs> we already talked about all the moves they did last week. That is the biggest one that they've done this week. We, I don't think we talked about Melvin Gordon last week. Yeah, we did. Did we? No, no, because Melvin oh, Gordon happened, uh, it happened oh, on wow. Friday. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, my apologies. I thought that that was already la- – see, the weeks don't exist. It's been, it's been forever. All right, let's start off with Melvin Gordon and how he's going to work with Philip Lindsay. Uh, I've seen a lot of people worried, upset, thinking that maybe Phil's going to request a trade or Phil isn't going to get paid um, and that they can't work together. Ryan, you tweeted out that they, they, the, they would complement each other well. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think this is a perfect combination. Um, obviously, I think there's always an initial shock when the team upgrades at your position. Um, and, and so I think it's understandable to maybe assume that Phil wasn't initially, you know, jumping off the walls or bouncing off the walls with excitement yeah. uh, over the, the move. But when you really take a step back and you realize that Melvin Gordon is on a two-year deal, Technically, Philip Lindsay is under team control for two more years as well if they want to go that route. The Broncos here could set things up, and, and they, maybe they're telling Phil this, maybe they aren't, but they could say, hey, look, we want to set you up to start an extension um, you know, that's really going to kick in after Melvin Gordon already is out of here. So uh, I think that it's a little bit – there's two sides to this. You know, the Broncos could either be telling Philip Lindsay, hey, we're going to take care of you, or there's a, you know, a, a little bit of a darker side where you could say the Broncos – are going to play Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay together. And because of that, Philip Lindsay's production is bound to go down a little bit. And then the Broncos are going to try and, you know, get a little bit more of a discount on Phil's deal. If that's the direction they want to go, well, things could get a little bit um, messy as we go along here. But if I'm just looking at it from a football perspective, this is a fantastic combination that the Broncos have. I think Andre highlighted it pretty well in his film room, but the more you look into it, the things that Melvin Gordon really does well don't aren't one-to-one with what Philip Lindsay really does well. And I think there's a situation where you can put these guys both in positions to succeed and yeah. really get the best out of both of them without asking them to do something they're not great at. After last season, though, I did see a, some concern of if he's going to be a high-level running back since he didn't have the best year last year. Andre, you talked a little bit about that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that is the big concern. Like so many of these free agent moves, the same can be say, said about A.J. Bouye or Jarrell Casey. You're kind of gambling on, can we turn back the clock and get the 2018 version of Melvin Gordon? And of course, that seems like a fair bet, simply based on the fact that 2019 was kind of a throwaway year, a year where he didn't really hit see the field until October because he was dealing with a contract holdout and that didn't go well. And the chargers offense just wasn't really, there wasn't much going on there between a battle line, a declining Phillip rivers and them just struggling to figure out their plan. And I mean, that's something Melvin Gordon has dealt with throughout his entire career is really crappy offensive lines, but you go back to 2018 when the chargers were really good, any other division, they would have won and had a buy that first week, but they were in the same division with the chiefs. So they had to go in the wild card round. He was really key. He's a slow starter who really hits his stride 
after 10 touches or so. And once you start feeding him and you have a bit of a lead and you can get him, he's for a big back. He's so dynamic on outside runs. He's really efficient with his movement, kind of, you know, turning the corner, but not wasting too much movement laterally going east and west. He just gets outside, straightens those hips, and then he's a train coming downhill and he seeks out contact, which for a guy who's had some durability concerns, you're worried about, but it is a beauty to see when it's working well and he's got ahead of steam and he's just terrorizing these second level defenders. Um, so use the right way. He could definitely be a nice acquisition. What's interesting is this is going to be a unique Pat Shermer offense because they've added some, some real like power and downhill ability um, on top of, you know, some powerful playmakers they already had. So it's going to be definitely different from that Minnesota version um, of the Shermer offense that, you know, everyone kind of thinks would be the ideal fit here. Yeah. And, and if it turns out to be Melvin Gordon kind of in that bell cow role, like I think we all expect at this point, you know, maybe a 70% of the touches go to Melvin Gordon, 30% whoa, whoa. to Philip Lindsay. You think that's high? Yeah. I think that's really, really high. You think it's like 60, 40. I think it's closer to 50, 50. Really? Yep. But I mean, what were the numbers last year with Phil Lindsay and Royce Freeman? Like even last year, they, it seemed like they were trying to protect Phil. And now that you have Melvin Gordon and you can protect him and Melvin's a guy who does better when you give him more touches, it almost makes sense to let things open up a bit more before you throw Phil in and let him try to do his thing. I, I don't know the numbers from last year. I think it was probably closer to 60, 40 Phil. Um, I, I, but I don't know. I think the ideal, personally, I think the ideal scenario for them would be to get it to 50, 50. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, remember that Melvin Gordon doesn't do his best work between the tackles and Philip Lindsay is actually very successful between the tackles. So you, to me, this is, to me, I, I think they're truly viewing Melvin Gordon as the weapon of these two and Philip Lindsay as the running back of these two. Huh? See, and that makes me like the move less though, because if you're making him whatever the, the sixth highest paid running back, but you're using him as a weapon instead of giving him the bulk of the touches and trying to let him grind down your the defense and open things up, that's scary. The money is a lot for him to to be the sixth highest paid running back, but I, they had to make had to do something because Royce Freeman wasn't getting the job done in that position. So you expected some sort of move in that running back position for um, to have a number two or a num someone accompanying Phil because Royce really didn't do much last year. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it, and this is obviously, you know, uh, you have to do a little bit of mental gymnastics to get to this place, but you can look at it as they're paying two Pro Bowl running backs $4.5 million each. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, uh, $8, $8 million is a lot for a running back. A lot of people would say that you shouldn't pay a running back that much. And we talk all the time about cost-controlled quarterback, but the Broncos also have cost-controlled Pro Bowl running back, which allows them to spend a little bit more on that position. And, and so now across the position, you're spending a, you know, a reasonable amount, especially to have two Pro Bowl players. That's Someone true. on Twitter was mentioning to me, cost controlled kind of playmaking unit as a whole as well. Like Sutton, you're not going to have to pay for a couple of seasons. Same goes with Noah Fant. So all your biggest playmakers on offense don't have, you're kind of kicking the can down the road and they won't have to be paid until Gordon's contracts off the books anyway. Speaking of Noah Fant, what do we think about uh, Nick Van Nett, who the Broncos also signed? 
Uh, I said that my favorite thing about him is that he's not Jeff Hireman. Um, but is he not though? <laughs> but it, he he is, but it, he isn't. Uh, and Jeff Hireman, you know, for all the uh, crap I like to give him, is a decent player. He is a decent NFL tight end, but he's never lived up to what was expected of him. And he has durability issues. And the Broncos, you know, John Elway, for all of his faults, has also been really open to reacting to his own mistakes. And one of the mistakes he made last year is he got two players in free agency and paid them a bunch of money and got, you know, 50 total snaps out of the two of them. Yeah. That's including zero from Bryce Callahan. And he very clearly this year said, I'm tired of guys being injured and put a premium on durability. Now, Melvin Gordon doesn't exactly fit that role, although he's, he, you know, he's a guy who misses like two, three games in a season, not a full season. Um, Knock on wood. I'll touch wood. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Vanette is essentially Jeff Hireman if Jeff Hireman could stay healthy. And I think that will end up being kind of a one-for-one replacement there. But then what do you do at tight end now? Because they are still paying Hireman. You have Fant, you have uh, Vanette, you have Beck. Is it like a Fumagalli or Jake Butt type that could take that last spot, or is it Hireman? It's and not going to be Hireman. I, I don't think it'll be Hireman. I think they move on from him. There's a, there's a few million in savings there if they do that. Um, and then I think you just have Beck, Butt, and Fumagalli battling it out you know three for two type of thing all right I want to go around and give the Broncos free agency moves so far a grade from each of you let's start with you Justin what grade would you give John Elway and the Broncos so far this free agency I'd give it like a like a B maybe like a B minus I like what they've done on the defensive side of the ball I think going out and getting Bouye you needed another cornerback I like getting Jarrell Casey for you know, an awesome price. You're getting a guy with multiple Pro Bowls and you're securing that defensive line. Uh, I'm still a little nervous about what they've got going at wide receiver, especially just, you know, you see like DeAndre Hopkins and, and what the Cardinals were able to land him for. And it's like, you know, was Elway in that conversation? It sure would have been nice to have a wide receiver like that coming in. But I also understand that, you know, there's only so many DeAndre Hopkins in the world and I'm, I'm sure they're playing the, the long haul when it comes to this plan. And, and, kind of retooling the roster yeah I think wide receiver has definitely moved to number one thing the Broncos need to do in the draft and with picking at 15 or 16 15 15 I don't know if they'll end up trading up um to get one of those three top guys um especially before the Raiders but I do think it's that's going to be their priority in the first round of the draft one of the things John oh go ahead no, I was just going to say, and you, I mean, you bring up the draft this year, and obviously it's a really deep class at wide receiver, and I think those top three guys are who everybody gravitates towards, but with it being so deep, I really feel like there's going to be somebody that slides, you know, the oh, second, yeah. third round that ends up really being a stud, and so it'll be, I'll be curious to see, you know, does Elway attack, does he trade up, does he try and get one of those guys, or does he hope that, you know, he's able to get like the fifth, sixth best wide receiver on the board and just hope that, you know, that guy ends up being a steal. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things John Elway has been really good about is checking off boxes before he gets to the draft. And that's what this whole free agency has been about to me. So uh, I guess since I'm talking, I'll just give my grade. Uh, 
I give it an A because you go and you look at the the list of needs the Broncos had, and it was pretty lengthy um, going into this offseason, especially with the, the players that they were losing. You go and you get A.J. Boye. That was going to be a big need for this team was corner. You go and get Jarrell Casey. That was going to be a huge need for this team as defensive line. You go and get Melvin Gordon. We know the second running back position was a hole for this team, and they needed to address that. Uh, and then you even start going down the line even further. Jeff Driscoll, you needed a backup quarterback. You got one that clearly you like. Um, even re-signing Devontae Bosby, that gives you more depth at corner. Everything he's done, every move he's made has made a lot of sense to me. And I don't I don't think, you know, being realistic that I could have set the bar that much higher for the type of players that he was able to acquire. So I think that this has been an A and, and like I said, you know, you've now you're now down to two holes. You got a hole at left tackle that isn't necessarily a hole if you want to uh, put yourself through Garrett the Garrett Bowles experience for one more year you really could to me it's plan C and we've already checked off plan A which was to go get a big free agent um, unless they were able to get Jason Peters which I'm pulling for uh, but I'm pulling for that too I would love to see him in Denver uh, either way you you've got two main holes and one of them isn't really a hole if you if you don't need it to be so you then you're down to that wide receiver position that is the one glaring hole left on the roster that absolutely has to be addressed bar none. And because of that, I think John Elway has really put him in a position, put himself in a position to be aggressive and go after, you know, the, the prospect or player that he wants at that position. Do you think they're done or do you think the, there's, they still have a few moves up there? Well, it comes out this morning that they structured Graham Glasgow's deal in such a way that they actually have quite a bit more cap space than we thought they did. Um, they front loaded it with a big bonus, $12 million bonus this year, which makes it so it's only about a $6 million cap hit this year. Um, and so when you take out the draft, they still have about $10 million of space. Now, John Elway always kind of likes to operate with just $6 million laying around just in case. Um, and so that to me, that means they still have room for one more move. I mean, I think you could get a Jason Peters at a one-year $4 million deal. I think you could get Prince Amukamara a one-year $4 million deal. Derek Wolf, maybe you could get at a one-year $4 million clip. So I think they've got one more move up their sleeves. It is so crazy to me how many good players are still just sitting out there on the market. Um, and so I like the fact that they do technically have $10 million to work with, but I think they do have at least one more move up their sleeve. Andre, what grade would you give John and the Broncos? I would settle in on an A minus. Um, of course, them being able to restructure the Glasgow contracts, interesting that that grade could go up. Um, I would have rather they added a little more depth at corner or defensive line than spending that money on um, Gordon and maybe tried to find uh, uh, Devontae Freeman at a cheaper price or just drafting a running back. Um, I also am not super convinced as Driscoll as your backup. Um, so, you know, those are just nitpicks. Um, the, the, the film room I have on Driscoll, I think there's maybe an, a larger vision there, which is more intriguing. Um, but yeah, given the circumstances, I think they did an extraordinary job. Uh, a lot of the top guys we were kind of talking about before free agency started ended up being tagged or re-signed. Um, so they did a masterful job of adjusting, finding some good trades. Um, and even the wide receiver need that is still lingering, this is the perfect year to address that. I would draft at least two. And with the second tight end, now you can kind of play around because Pat Shermer's going to use a lot of three wide receiver sets. 
But now you have that second tight end, and you can basically use three wide receiver tight ends with two tight ends because you have Noah Fant, who's a, a wide receiver disguised in a tight end's body. I hope that wasn't too confusing. But now you have some flexibility <laughs> formation-wise with that as well. To convert that into English, what Andre was saying is that you can use Noah Fant as a wide receiver. Yes, that's exactly that. <laughs> um, before I get to you, Henry, real quick, uh, actually, we'll get to you first, Henry. What grade would you give them? That's tough um because there are some holes and I do think they need to make at least one more move before the draft I think you need to get another defensive lineman whether that's bringing back Wolf I think you need to get another cornerback um a Mukamura maybe um, but if you could just fill one of those spots and ensure that you're getting top 100 talent to fill whatever those other holes you don't fill with that last night then I'll feel really good about it I think my favorite part of what they've done is the type of player they've gone after. Uh, I think a lot of us were really hoping that they'd be in on the big name guys who are getting all the huge contracts, but the way they've approached things leaves room for these players to outperform the money you're giving them. And that seems to me, and this is something we talked a little bit on the draft podcast, but like you look back at the Super Bowl defense when you're giving Aqib Tlaib the money that, uh, you know, he outplayed. Dominique Rogers Camardi turns down the contract. You offer the exact same contract to keep to leave. He, he plays in all pro level, making less money. That's something AJ Boye is totally capable of um, making $13 million, whatever, but playing at a $20 million level. Uh, I think that's true of him. That's true of Jarrell Casey. It isn't so true of Melvin Gordon. He's one where best case scenario, he is deserving of the money you gave him. Um, yeah. But they, they have the potential to have all these big values that you can kind of build off of. Um, plus, they're trading for these guys. They keep the compensatory picks for next year. Um, so I really like the way they've gone about yeah. building all of this. Uh, I think that I'd probably give them an A. Uh, again, it sets them up so that you can draft in the first round that receiver. If you get a Jerry Judy, uh, C.D. Lamb, those guys are plug and play. They are ready to go. Henry Ruggs could also be, but there's a little bit of doubt. Then the second round, there are still going to be some tackles so you can plug in left tackles. So they're really setting themselves up to have a high ceiling this year and for the next couple of years, which I really like. So I go with like an A, maybe an A minus. Um, hopefully they get like a cornerback ta defensive tackle, just plug up one of those spots. And one, of the, one other thing, one other need that they had that they didn't fill, which I must mention because I'm a big Sam Martin guy, is punter. <laughs> oh, yep. Gotta and get still the punter talking. And, and still, I think, like, if you go get a Braden man, get that competition, then all of a sudden, like, I, I think that a Braden man, if you get him in the sixth round, could be a top five punter in just, like, two years. Go get Hayden Hunt. I'm going to say it. I've been saying it for mm. two years. The one thing <laughs> CSU did well, they produced a punter, baby. <laughs> I remember being at that punter pro day workout. That was uh, fun. <laughs> Dude, I don't understand specialists at all because he's legitimately the most accurate punter I've ever seen at any level. Like Hayden Hunt, you would just watch him in practice and he would do dumb stuff, just like kick it and, and like literally be like, all right, I'm going to make it bounce out at the seven just because I can't. And like he yeah. would do, he would just do stuff like that. Wow. And you look at like Braden Mann and the one question is, you know, at the next level, can he stop out kicking his coverage? It's like, what a great problem to be working on. That's CSU's punter's current problem, Ryan Stonehouse. Got a big leg, doesn't know how to use his gunners. Oh. Outkicking your coverage isn't as big of a problem in the NFL as it is in, in college. Like, 
a lot of guys in the NFL just let it rip. Like Shane Leckler for years was just like, eh, catch up just with it. I'm kicking it as far as I can. <laughs> um, Henry, you mentioned cornerback, uh, maybe adding another cornerback. The Broncos did let Will Parks go to – and I, I'm a little happy about it because I would love to see uh, Will Parks back in Philadelphia um, repping his hometown, Philly Will. What do you guys think of letting Will go? Um, definitely saving on money, but he was getting up there and getting a lot of star power in there. If there's one negative you want to point out to, I guess, this Broncos free agency, it's that the guys that they lo- that are good – that they're letting go are signing for just pennies out there. Um, You know, Will Parks, anyone in the NFL could have done that deal for Will Parks. And I think, you know, he's, he was a valuable depth piece on this team. Um, And he said that he wanted to stay in Denver. So, uh, you know, he's one of Chris Harris Jr. While I think it was just time to move on for both sides when in that situation, Chris Harris Jr. signed for nothing. Um, Shelby Harris is still on the market. Derek Wolf is still on the market. Like, it makes you wonder if they just kind of are ready to move on from a lot of these veterans and they're just saying like, and Will Parks doesn't fit into that, but all these other guys, they're just saying like, yeah, we don't really care what the price is. We just want to, we want a fresh start. Yeah. Do I you think, think Chris definitely... Harris would have signed for that same deal? Like if, no. if Denver offers, I don't think so either. No, no I think it was just time. Denver offered more money um, before he hit the market well, and he sure. didn't want it. I think he was just done with Denver, the way he approached the media, the way he approached the fans, like the last few weeks on social media. Like he, I, he was just ready to move on and he was done with Denver, um, which is a shame because I feel like he, he could have kept going on this legacy that he's had in Denver. Um, Will Parks definitely said he wanted to stay in Denver, that Denver, uh, the Broncos helped save his life, um, getting him out of certain situations back in Philadelphia and helped him grow and mature. And so his first priority was definitely Denver, but then had a few other options, but went to Philly just because it's home. So that's why he took less money for that. But yeah, Shelby Harris and Derek Wolf. It seems like they, they, like Ryan said, just want to move on and kind of start with a new team. And maybe that's something about the locker room, Ryan, um, that you saw with uh, some of these younger guys before Drew Locke was the starting quarterback. It was kind of like the younger guys still had to work for their say in the locker room because these veterans were kind of overpowering that. Maybe that has something to do with it. I think there's just a, a this weird lingering – um, I don't I can't call it a cloud because it's from a better time but you know this Peyton Manning Broncos idea and I think that all of these players or most of these players who played in that era are longing for that to happen again and the truth is it's just not going to you you never replace Peyton Manning no matter what no matter how great Drew Locke turns out to be it's still not a replacement for Peyton Manning you just you have to blaze a new trail and I think guys like Derek Wolf and not not on purpose necessarily, especially Chris Harris, I think that they're just that they've been to the mountain and they've been to the mountaintop and they say, like, I've been here. I know it. This is the way you should go. And Vic Fangio and, you know, the, the Broncos leadership is saying, well, like, well, we're actually going this way this time. Like, it's not we're not going to go that way. Right. And I think because of that, it just makes it easier to to go up that new path without having people saying, like, man, when I was on this path over here, it was way easier. We didn't have to go over that rock or whatever it is. Especially because they do have so many young players on this team that haven't been to the top of the mountain and see it in a different way. So there's definitely that separation. 
totally. And I think the other thing is, you know, just like Wolf and Shelby are still around, a ton of high-end free agents are still around. It's just been an odd free agent period. I didn't expect Xavier Rhodes or these big-name qu- quarterbacks or Logan Ryan or – Jadavian Clowney? Clowney's yeah. still around. I mean, there are a lot of high-end players still out on the market, and I just think part of it is how this – a, this period has just been weird and teams can't get guys in buildings and really like meet face to face and have their medical staffs check them out. I also wonder if there's some projecting ahead and thinking maybe league revenues will decrease for whatever, you know, for coronavirus related stuff. So teams aren't trying to splash the cash as much as they have in years past. Yeah. And going back to like the Will Parks thing, you know, as, as good as he was, you know, he kind of transitioned into that filling that role as like a slot cornerback, mm-hmm. safety, whatever. And we all loved what he did, but that's a very unique position yeah. that requires like two specific skills. And he was more well-rounded, could probably do a couple other things. When you have 10 draft picks and you can spend, a, you know, pick 140, 150 on a guy who has those two skills and who you can get coached up, you know, halfway through the year, to, to fill that role and then maybe keep him moving forward so that maybe you can expand that role in the future. Like I feel like he was just replaceable and, and it's too bad. And I really like the guy, but it just kind of makes sense to try to get another guy who can develop, who fits into that role a little more perfectly and didn't have to take a couple of years to get there. If that makes sense. Um, and it's the same thing with, you know, Derek Wolf, Shelby Harris, you can replace those players, you know, they're, they're good and they're important, but, the Broncos just have that opportunity in the draft to coach guys up and give Draymond Jones some more snaps. I don't know. And it's, I think it just make it more of Vic Fangio's team. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's has a say in what's going on and, and just make it feel more like they needed to restructure. We've known this for how long they needed to rebuild. They tried so many times to not, and now you're seeing the effects of them rebuilding and letting go of some of those veteran players and bringing in relying on the draft and having drew Locke as their leader. Um, before we head into a conversation that I know Ryan probably doesn't want to have, uh, I got to tell you guys about Denver Rubber Company. We talk about Denver Rubber Company a lot when it comes to the snow, but they're not just use usable or valuable when it comes to snow. They are the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. Since 1972, Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality of products from custom die gasket, die cut gaskets, molded rubber to custom contract manufacturing and custom hoses. So they are great with snow plows, so keep using them for that if you are, but they have so many other capabilities. So be sure to call them today for any snow plow needs, custom gaskets, hoses, etc. at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr and tell them who sent you. All the talks of Cam Newton to Denver, how Denver oh. should find Cam Newton. <laughs> Let's jump into that. Some people aren't convinced that Drew Locke's the guy or they want Cam Newton as the veteran uh, backup QB. What do you guys think of all of this chatter today? No, 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 <laughs> no, and no, and no again. Um, Cam Newton, the thing about Cam Newton is he plays this position where you need to throw the ball and he can't throw it anymore. And that um, seems to be a problem for him. Uh <laughs> Obviously, he's been broken since the Broncos snatched his soul in Super Bowl 50. He's never been the same. 
And maybe that if he came back to Denver, like Von Miller would allow him to have his soul again, but <laughs> there would probably have to be a negotiation period with that and whatnot. Um, Cam Newton can't play anymore. I'm confident in saying that. So you don't want Cam Newton in the first place. Second place, uh, Drew Locke is legit and he's the guy and he's the quarterback of the future in Denver. So there's no reason to muddy the waters by bringing in someone else here. You know, James Winston is another name that have been thrown around with Denver. That interests me a hundred times more than Cam Newton, but even still, you don't need that. You don't need a guy like that. And, and Jameis Winston, for all of his talent, is not the type of guy who you would want as your backup quarterback anyway. He's, you know, both of these guys are former number one overall picks. Those guys don't just come in and sit behind a second-year player and, you know, just uh, hang out to help them out. There, it, it makes absolutely no sense, and it, it really shows you the difference between getting your Broncos coverage from local and getting your Broncos coverage nationally. Definitely. I mean, if you, you bring in a guy like that, Cam Newton or Jameis Winston, like you said, a former number one, and Drew Locke has a, a rough game or two, and then we all know how Broncos fans are. I mean, all of a sudden, two, three weeks in, Locke maybe stumbles a little bit, and we have people chanting for Cam Newton. It just seems like a train wreck. If, yeah. you're really, if you really believe in Locke, he's your guy, you believe he's a franchise quarterback, you're not going to do anything that's going to disrupt that development. And I just... I don't see any positive out of bringing in a guy like Cam or Jameis because it's just taking away valuable attention and valuable time with the coaches from, you know, Locke. Agreed. And I'm not totally out on Cam yet. You know, I, I think that you could look back and say like, oh, he was hurt last year. Like he didn't look like himself before that, but I do think the potential is there for a bounce back. Like getting him out of Carolina could definitely help. I don't know why the Broncos would ever be the team to take a risk on that though. I just, there's, there's just no reason, you know, but it's still the Broncos. You read like the list, like five places where Cam Newton could end up or what are the, or like you look at the betting odds for Jameis Winston, where he's going to go and the Broncos are on there. But like, for example, you would never see the Cardinals on there because Kyler Murray is like the number one. They don't have him on, or they don't have the Cardinals on any of those lists, but then you look back and it's like, sure, he was decent the stats would lean towards Drew Locke being better. You know, Kyler Murray, larger sample size, but he won one more game than Drew Locke in 11 more starts. Like, it's just this perception of Drew Locke. That's what's driving all of this, that people outside don't understand what Broncos fans saw for five games and want to ride on. And, yeah. and it, it doesn't help that John Elway has a history of going after washed quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, You've got Joe Flacco and Case Keenum. Like, that's back-to-back -back years now that the Broncos have taken a flyer on these guys. And these national people are being, you know, they've got something in their inbox saying, hey, give me the top five landing spots for Cam Newton. So they turn and they look and they say, all right, well, John Elway uh, has a history of doing this before, so why wouldn't I put him on this list? Again, it, it's, it, it's that. It's also the fact that, you know, it didn't get a lot of fanfare when John Elway basically said, like, Drew's the guy but when he didn't say that at the end of the season press conference that got a ton of publicity and so yeah. people are still thinking about that and then I've said this a million times on the Broncos pod but I'll say it again the national people did not see those games from Drew Locke you know other than the guys who grind the tape these people just 
had completely yeah, tuned. They didn't need to watch it. Right. They tuned out the Broncos. They were dead to the Broncos. You know, the Broncos yeah. were dead to the world. And if they tuned into one game, it would have been the one against the Chiefs, Chiefs. when Drew Locke had his one bad game. So the, the national media doesn't know about Drew Locke yet. It, it's only a matter of time, though. From a team construction point, though, having a veteran backup makes sense if we're like, oh, we're in a win-now mode. You know, if anything happened to Drew, say something fluky happens to his thumb again, you want a backup and you're worried about, oh, well, who do we put in, Rippin or Driscoll? It'll be a problem. With Locke, that's not really – like, if Locke fails, great. Then he was just a second rounder. You can draft a new guy – next year when the quarterback class promises to be pretty intriguing you you don't need to tie up more of the cap in another veteran create more controversy just to what ensure you go eight and eight if an injury happens to your quarterback big whoop who cares agreed and I don't think Driscoll was a good signing I don't think he's the guy who you want to fill that role Mm -hmm. I agree you want to go a more veteran route but it's not the Cam Newton route. Like, if the Chargers want to take a flyer on him, see if he could do something, I'd be down for that. There's, a, there's the potential for him to take that team to a cool level. Odds are pretty slim, but there's, the Broncos just don't need to bet on that upside. Also, like, I get what you're saying on Jeff Driscoll. Like, you could have said a, a bar higher. The Broncos aren't good enough for it to matter, kind of like what, what Dre was just saying. Like, if the Broncos lose Drew Locke, I'll touch wood, they're effed. Yeah. Period. End of story. It doesn't matter who their backup is. They they aren't going to succeed with a backup quarterback. You know, if you're one of these teams like the Chiefs or, you know, uh, the Ravens or one of these teams that has a juggernaut on your hands and a great quarterback, well, then you invest in the backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. And so you can have a situation like the Eagles had, you know, in that right. year where they were one of the best teams in the NFL. Their quarterback went down and they were able to keep the momentum going. The Broncos aren't going to be like that. They're going to need to lean on Drew Locke to take them to the playoffs if they're going there. That's so rare. Like, it's interesting to me in general, just with professional football, how much we obsess over the backup quarterback and, like, having to have, like, a great guy. Like you said, if Drew Locke goes down, the Broncos are screwed. I feel like that's the case for the vast majority of the teams in the NFL. Like, even if you're a really good team, like the Chiefs, if the Chiefs lost Mahomes, I don't think they'd be okay. Like, maybe they're able to squeak it out if they had – I don't even know who their backup is right now. Is it Matt Moore still? Maybe, but I mean, they can get by for a few games. For no few one games, can get yeah. by for a whole season on their backup. I mean, the Eagles weren't even like the the Eagles fan base in general. As soon as Carson went down, thought they were done. Who who oh, knew yeah. that Nick Foles had that in him to like come and carry this team to victory? Like he definitely had playoff experience. He definitely was a veteran quarterback, a backup quarterback in that position, but no one thought that he would be able to do what he did, especially against Tom Brady. So I feel like that in itself was just a one-off miracle scenario. Um, But this isn't just a Broncos podcast. We are talking some buffs and Rams. So I want to transition into that and uh, a little bit into the draft, Uh, the buffs and the Rams and multiple players uh, go for pro day. And let's start with you, Justin. Who are your favorites? Do you think they'll actually make it onto a team? Do you think it'll be more of a, a restricted free agent after? Um, what, do, what are your thoughts on Jalen Bates, Jamal, Jamal Hicks, and those type of players? Yeah, it's not, it's not really a banner year for CSU in terms of pro prospects. It, they'd, they'd been doing pretty well, at least, you know, for a Mountain West program, all things considered, that basically been averaging like a guy or two getting drafted every year for the last you know five six years and 
this year it's it's kind of looking like they're probably not going to have anybody that actually gets drafted. You brought up Jamal Hicks. You brought up Jalen Bates. I do think both of these guys are definitely going to be in NFL camps. Uh, Hicks would probably have the best chance to get drafted just based on his production. But, you know, there's still a lot of questions about him in, in pass coverage. Pretty solid run tackler. Uh, actually ran like a 4.59 on his 40 at his pro day, which put him in a, in a put him in a, a good position. But there are just, you know, some questions about is he going to be that guy that can keep up with, you know, elite level NFL pass catchers. And I'm just not so sure that we're we're at that position yet. Bates, you know, he transferred in from Arizona State, didn't really live up to expectations. You know, whenever you're a G5 school and you get these guys that come in from the big programs, everybody just assumes, you know, like this guy's going to light it up. He's going to be the new superstar. That definitely wasn't the case with Bates. Was pretty impactful as a run stopper, but really didn't do much from a pass rushing perspective. And that was disappointing because that was, you know, kind of the the entire reason he came to CSU was he was like, I want to rush the passer. I want to make a name for myself. And and that didn't really happen. So, you know, I, I do expect those two to, to be in NFL camps, but I'd be a little surprised if either of them ends up getting drafted. I would be curious to hear if Andre agrees with that sentiment, though. Yeah, I don't think either will get drafted. I think Hicks will have some intrigue because there's always, like, room for in-the-box guys like that. And, I mean, the way he ran really, really helped him. Because if he ran, like, a 4-7, it was over. Exactly. But running in the four fives for a guy like that, who's just going to be asked to line up in the box and come downhill, um, there, there's going to be a space for him. What's interesting is you were telling me Bates was really disappointed with his pro day numbers. He killed it um, from a number perspective for a guy that size, but it's just, you put on the tape, there's not much. It was just one of those where I think he was, he was aware of the fact that he didn't live up to the, the expectations this year on the field. He didn't produce the way he wanted to. So I think he you know, kind of wanted to come out on his pro day and really just light it up, be that freak that everyone was like, oh my God, who is this guy? And like you said, he actually was pretty solid. And, and with his frame, he moves pretty well. I think he'll get some looks. There's always, you know, NFL teams are always trying to find that next great edge rusher guy. And, you know, maybe Bates can be that guy if, he, if he's coached up right. There is a um, fun little CSU story of Josh Griffin, who's 33 years old. He participated in Pro Day. He was an uh, Army staff sergeant who practiced with the team for two seasons but never played in a real game. It was kind of it's kind of sad, honestly. Like it, obviously an inspiring story that Griffin did this, but you know Bobo is is kind of taking some heat from the fans when I posted that story. They're like, how did we not even get this guy in for special teams? Yeah, and it was, it was, it's kind of a bummer. I think it's the, the fans make a good point when it comes to that guy. You know, you know, you had a lost season. You weren't going to the postseason. Why not reward this dude that's been such an inspiring story that's been a great leader for your young players? But, you know, regardless, Griffin, he's a really inspiring guy. You know, I think at this point, most people recognize, like, his odds of actually ever making an NFL team are, are so slim. I mean, he's yes. 10 years older than an old NFL prospect would be. But a 33 year old running back, like just looking to be drafted now, that's definitely it, yeah, it's it's more of like a feel good story. Maybe a team will bring him into camp solely just because it's a feel good story, yeah. But you know, Griffin talking to him, like he's gonna keep pushing for it, so I respect him. I think it's I think it's really cool that he's you know been willing to do all this, even though he wasn't getting any of the glory. And you know, if you didn't read that story, 
I don't want to promote myself a whole lot, but I, I recommend you go back and check it out because it is yeah. a, it's a cool little story. I'm yeah. livid that he didn't play. Like, how is that possible? Especially, like Justin mentioned, with the think, end of the season, the way it went. Like, why not? I got to imagine, like, from the coach's perspective, they had so many freshmen, and so they really went young. And so I guess, you know, like, from a, if you're building for the future, it makes more sense to play the guys that are actually going to play next year. But... I mean, I'm talking just, one carry. Exactly. Like, how do you, and he could have been, he, he took some reps at DB too. So, like, you could have put him as, like, a gunner or something on special teams. You could have let him block. Like, something. Like, they, they could have got him involved. Teams. Yeah, at least on special teams. Jeez. Um, the buffs have a few people definitely um, in the talks for the draft. Uh, especially Steven Montez and LaVisca Chenault, who both went to the Combine. Steven Montez actually ran really well for a quarterback his size, uh, did better than LaVisca Chenault. What did you guys think of LaVisca Chenault running? He still seemed hurt, and then it came out that he got even more injured. Did you? What Was that a good idea or no? I mean, I guess obviously it's not a good idea, but I just want your takes on it. <laughs> No, yeah. I mean, the, the, the problem there, I mean, it, it was probably just bad advice from whoever said he should be out there. I mean, you could see him pull up. You could see him limping. He didn't make the second run. So now his 40 time is actually listed, whereas he could have just had no 40 time. Yeah. Um, and, and the problem is that that isn't his actual 40 time because he did pull up, because he did pull something. And, uh, I mean, right. he should have sat out the whole combine. It would have knocked him into the second round. But now you're looking at him being – potentially knocked into the third round. Well, and that's the thing. When you look at the, I mean, the bus will probably have three guys drafted, Visca, Steven Montez, Davion Taylor. They all have such wide ranges for where they could go. You know, Visca could be a first round pick still. He could be a third round pick. Steven Montez could be a seventh round pick or somebody might take a flyer on him in round four, Davion Taylor. Is he now a second round pick or is he still in that sixth round conversation? Like you just have no idea because there are such big question marks around all three of these guys. Yeah. It only takes one, as we always say. Um, I, I think Visco really hurt himself by participating in the combine, but I can still see a team like the Packers in the first round, just being like, how do we pass this up? I, well, you know, how could we not add this weapon to our offense? You know, it seems like, there's a chance one of these teams, the Eagles, whatever it is, might just say, you know what, let's throw caution to the wind here. This guy is too good to just let go by at a position of need. That's a possibility. Or everyone cools off and everyone is just waiting for someone else to do it. And he could, you know, his fall could be, you know, seemingly never ending. Steven Montez is another one where I'm just like, man, going into this last season, I was really high on him. I thought he could play his way into being a day two pick and, I think he really could have, uh, especially now that we've seen what he did at the Combine. Then by the end of the season, it was like, man, is he even going to get drafted at all? Then he goes into the Combine, and now I'm convinced someone's going to fall in love with him. Someone with a big quarterback that wants to develop someone in that type of uh, mold is going to fall in love with Steven Montez and say, you know, this guy has all the tools, massive arm, great feet all this stuff and and he you know i think he could go as high as round four all over again and i've I always think... felt that way about montez though like i've never i've never been a steven montez believer i mean we talked about that i think before the football season but i always talked about it, it didn't matter what i thought about montez because when you look at his build when you look at the way he moves you talked about you know all the tools somebody's gonna take a chance on that dude like 
and I honestly at this point like it, it feels like he's gonna go earlier than later like I would guess the fourth or fifth more than the sixth or seventh at this point it's kind of yeah. crazy to me because you really see like what could have been um if LaVisca what was playing healthy and Steven did get going I mean Steven throwing to LaVisca is always always great for the buffs if both if LaVisca would have stayed healthy what that could have done for both of their draft stocks because Steven could have been that quarterback that Ryan you thought he was going to be at the beginning of the season but with all the injuries this buffs team had to deal with in every position I think that really hurt Steven yeah and Steven's a guy who needs to be throwing the ball downfield and I, and I think that if he lands in the right place um you could see him look a lot better as a pro than he did in college. It seemed like a lot of the inconsistency stemmed from footwork, but also from just being able to consistently make good reads. And if you put him in a system where he doesn't have to make so many reads, like avoid all the West coast stuff, avoid like anything that makes you think, huh, is the linebacker going to step forward or backward? That's what you base your decision off of. And let him kind of uncork the long ball. Um, Let him just not think as much as he just sees the field. Like, is this guy open? Is this guy not open? He's 15 yards, 20 yards downfield. Let him hit those spots. And I think he could be a lot better than he was in college. Yeah, I do agree, though. I, I think LaVisca is going to fall um, pretty yeah, well. Deep. I don't think – I don't really think teams are going to risk it on him because of how injury-prone he's been. And then with this injury and not getting the surgery right away, which we, he should have done, um, just his decision-making and injury-based, I feel like teams are, especially in running back, the running back position, are going to be more weary of him, unfortunately, because when he is healthy, he is a superstar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, what's interesting is he's a case where this whole situation might really hurt him. Because he's a guy who might have had 30 official team visits, had like half the league bring him in um, and evaluate his medicals, really get him checked out, and maybe half of those teams clear him. And then you've got, you know, a quarter of the league willing to take that risk and draft him in the top 50. Now, who knows? Yeah, yeah and- this, this coronavirus, um, the way it's impacted, the draft is definitely affecting a lot of guys because they can't have those other visits. No one can travel. And like you said, Andre, it'll definitely hurt someone like LaVisca. I think that what's, what's craziest about Visca's situation is that if you just look back and say he never has an injury, you know, whether that's at the combine so he gets to run normal, whether that's in the last two seasons so he gets to put up the big numbers, um, I think he's a lock to be a, a top 15 pick as a receiver. I think that he's probably, if, if you only wanted him purely as a running back, he's still probably a third, fourth round pick just as a running back. I mean, all the different skills this guy has makes him so unique. And he probably should have been in this top 10 pick conversation. But the injuries as a sophomore hurt him. Then the injuries as a junior. Then the offseason injuries. And it's just crazy that he's now going to be a third round pick who's either going to, I think, do nothing in the NFL or produce at a Pro Bowl level for probably five years at least. And it's just it's like it's I said with the Broncos, gamble. There's the, with the with the receiver class this year, like there's somebody we know that's gonna slide and is gonna end up being a steal. And Visca very well might be that guy, especially just given his injury concerns. But when I look back at this last fall, just like what if, man? Like Ali said, with between Visca and everything that happened there. 
But even at CSU, like it was just a what if filled season. You lose Colin Hill, Warren Jackson gets hurt for three games. Those are a lot of really good football players that greatly impacted, you know, the product that we ultimately had to to watch and and well, by the end of it, it was more like sit through and, and <laughs> but it is what well, it is. We're excited for next fall. When Visco was healthy to start the last two seasons off, the Buffs started off hot. What yeah. what they start the last two seasons? They started to combine like five nine and, and one. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Last season they started five and zero. Yeah, well, and and then you look at the production. I mean, even we were talking about the draft podcast. Henry Ruggs has two career one hundred yard receiving games. How many does Visca have? Yeah. Like, like when you just look through the numbers when he was healthy, I and mean, he was averaging, I think, 160, 170 uh, yards per game in those first five games of his sophomore season before he got hurt. And that's he was with, on like, pace for 2,000 receiving yards. Yeah. And that's a pace he held when he was healthy, when he was fully healthy in all those games. But would I take him in the first round now? I'm not sure. And I'm somebody who has watched all of that. I have seen him go through these things. I know that a lot of the injuries were pretty fluky, but with those really high value picks, a lot of teams can't afford to take that risk. Yeah. Yeah. But what if, sir? So like, what if LaVisca and Mm -hmm. even would have gotten going buffs could have been definitely in a post-season conversation. Ryan, you were, you were shaking your head, nodding your head a few times during that conversation. So what are your thoughts? I'm just bummed for LaVisca. I mean, I think he should be a top 15 pick at the very least. Uh, and he's not going to be, and it's it's a shame. He got bad advice. Um, he was probably overused in those first five games of 2018, which didn't do his body any favors. Um, he was caught in this weird conundrum this season of do I come back so I can put tape out there um, or you know so I don't have the injury label stuck on me which only made him get more injured it's just a it's a shame and then of course as a Buffs fan it's just a shame for me it's a, it's the ultimate uh, you know thing to happen to the Buffs for uh, you know them to have this generational incredible player who never gets on the field and plays to his full abilities and you can't be mad at Visca though as a Buff fan because at every turn, the answer was always, oh, yeah, I'll go play. Like, to a fault. He decided to play the combine. He didn't just sit out two weeks at the beginning of the season and get fully healthy. He just constantly pushed through. Like, there's the famous clip of him in the press conference um, when somebody asked, well, were you feeling pain while you're out there? And he's like, yeah, I felt pain, but it's just that. It's just pain. And he's yeah. just running guys over. And if he would have just taken care of himself, uh, who knows what would have happened. Um, what, what do you guys think about Tony Brown, uh, Mikel Onu? Yeah, so Tony yeah. Brown, I think because the receiver class is so deep, he's probably an undrafted guy, but he's definitely the type of player who could, who could make some moves for himself in a training camp because a lot of what he does doesn't translate into 40 time or shuttle speed. Um, so much of it is just being able to make plays at receiver having the body control, just catching the football, um, getting open enough. And, and I think that that'll kind of play out. Um, guy like Mikhail Onu, I think he does get a camp invite, um, but he was put in a tough spot breaking his leg in practice when he picked off a pass in the last week of the season, um, spending all this time rehabbing instead of being able to work on his 40 time 
work on the things that he is going to be evaluated by. I think he's one who gets really hurt by not having interviews um, because of the coronavirus, everything that's happening. He's one who would have really stood out there. He would have uh, impressed. And I think a lot of teams would have said, okay, worst case scenario, we'll, we'll see if this guy can be a special teamer for us um, because he has that right work ethic attitude. He won't cause pr tr trouble. Um, then you look at guys like Arlington Hambright. I don't think he gets a shot. Mm. Tim Lanott potentially gets a shot. Um, Delrick Abrams, yeah. that's a good oh. one. He has like that length that everybody's looking for at cornerback, good athleticism. Um, I bet he gets a camp invite. He has the body type to maybe sneak into the seventh round if somebody likes him. Um, but there's some depth to this class behind that big three of Visca, Davion, and Steven Montez. Yeah, I've kind of compared uh, Tony Brown to B.C. Johnson, which uh, you, you standard. can appreciate. Yeah, the standard. You know, <laughs> always kind of overshadowed by other wide receivers in college, but a guy you can put on the field and trust and will be a real pro. I'll say this about B.C. Johnson, which this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but he's a sleeper in fantasy this year. If you're a fantasy player, he's going to be no their number two wide Diggs. receiver. Don't worry. I think this is the most on topic uh, the Denver sports podcast I've ever had to host. So I appreciate you guys, even if that little, little off topic conversation. But before we continue, guys, you're eating a lot of sweets. Wife's girlfriend's probably baking. Maybe you're baking. You know, there's nothing else to do. You got to take care of your teeth. And you know who's still Green Mountain Dental Group is in Lakewood. They're the best damn family owned dentist in the metro area. And they're extreme Colorado sports fans. So that's always fun. Why not support that? Schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam and you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. Tweet at us when you go there and then tag us and them when you go there and show them that our community is big supporters of them. Remember, you get a free Sonicare toothbrush if you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. And you know, right now is the perfect time to go do dentist work because you're staying at home anyways. Um, I need to get my wisdom teeth out. Maybe this is the time to do it. Um, so definitely go to Green Mountain Dental Group. DNVR Watches is finally having a Saturday college sports um, and this week we are, this Saturday, we are watching at 1.30. Henry specifically requested the time 1.30 because it is the time actually it buffs kicked off against Nebraska in 2001 for 62-36. Such a classic. And then the Rams will be watching the 1997 Holiday Bowl CSU versus Missouri uh, at 4 p.m., I believe, correct? Yep, 4 p.m. 4 p.m. So get those beers be ready. Get your beers ready, your Breck Brews, your 15 can sampler that you can order off Drizzly. Um, and we're going to be making it a tailgate thing. So tailgate from your house. Get some Breck Brews. Tweet at us. If you're making brats for lunch, definitely let us know. Um, it's a Saturday and days don't exist anymore. So why not start drinking early for a college football game? Um, are you, What – Justin, you said you hadn't actually watched 19, the, the 1997 game, but why did you decide to choose this one? A couple of reasons. The, I mean, obviously, like, it was a high-quality stream, so that played into the factor a little bit. <laughs> yes. But more, more important than that is it's just a, it's a generation of CSU football that I think a lot of, you know, the diehard Ram fans that are, you know, middle-aged right now, a lot of those people were – you know, at CSU in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's just kind of that era that 
everybody is nostalgic for. You know, I think with the buffs in particular, you're, you know, you're going back to like the early 90s, the power years. Well, for CSU, it was the late 90s. It was early 2000s. And it was just a good time for the program. They were competing nationally. They took down a, a pretty decent Missouri team in this holiday bowl. So, Oh, no think, spoilers. <laughs> not bad. <laughs> oh, you're so, right. Sorry. But, no spoilers there. <laughs> but it'll be, a, it'll be a good time. I'm excited to check it all out. Definitely. Ryan, you were actually at the game in 2001. Tell us about your experience, how excited you are to rewatch this game. I mean, you tweeted out a great tweet this morning that got Buffs fans excited. What was that? Oh, I said it's been 3,406 days since Nebraska beat CU in football. And that's what keeps you going during these quarantine days? <laughs> yeah, that gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, <laughs> it's probably been, let's see, like – I don't know, uh, 1,500, do yeah. 1500 plus days since CSU's beat the buff. So uh, <laughs> really just bright times all around, I would say. Um, <laughs> I was at the game. I've watched the replay enough times that I can probably just do the call myself. <laughs> like I, can, I can just play Brett Musburger in this uh, play. But uh, I, you can never get enough of it. It's, it's – probably my favorite sports experience of all time so uh it was the buzz in boulder that day is really something that i've probably spent the rest of my life trying to recapture and never quite gotten to that point but you know you had uh two top five teams in the country just going at it here and everyone like it was the talk of the town for the entire week it's all anyone could talk about the night before Thanksgiving with my family. It's all anyone talks about. Like it was just such, it was college football at its peak in Boulder, Colorado. And, and that is uh, something that is extremely special to me. Yeah. And I feel like these last two Nebraska CU games have also had similar attributes to that being the talk of the town, being what everyone is excited for and ending in exciting fashion these last two years for the buffs. My, Watching back for the first time ever that 2001 game right before the Buffs played Nebraska this year, it was on Pac-12. I knew a lot about that game, but the 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 amount of times they just scored so consecutively, just watching that is like, oh my god, they scored another touch. It's been like three minutes. Are you serious? Like it, it's an awesome game to go back and watch. Well, and the stakes are so high. That's what makes oh, yeah. it so great. Like, well, like they should have is- been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but I mean, Nebraska is coming into that game, needing a win to get into the Rose bowl, right. A, ch- a chance to play for a national championship yep. and CU well, doesn't have that, but they can say we're stopping it, which is yeah, well, perfect that's what rivalry setup. But then Nebraska still played for the national championship and got yeah. wrecked. Yeah. Um, they didn't win CU. their own division, but right. still played in the natty. Yeah. yeah. CU goes on to win the big 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Nebraska, didn't, which didn't even play in the conference championships, ends up going to the national championship game against Miami. Obviously, CU fans wanted to be in there. Um, it, it's probably for the best that they weren't. Um, but you can say that, although, you know, you never know what happens in a one, yeah. one-off scenario. Uh, but, yeah, that's the craziest part to me is that, like, the Buffs beat the brakes off Nebraska. Nebraska doesn't even get a chance to play for the Big 12, and then they go to the national championship. It was an absolute joke. Um, I, it, it, and another thing to note here is that 
the Buffs winning that Big 12 championship is means they have won a conference championship more recently than Nebraska has. There you go. It's going to be a fun Saturday. Like I said, 1.30 for the Buffs, tailgating early in the morning. I want to see those beer mosas, uh, mimosas, all that type of stuff. And then for er, – also, Ryan and I were talking about this earlier. If you're in Denver and you're watching either of these games and it fits with this tailgate uh, Saturday, why not support a local business and order wings from Blake Street Tavern, nachos, uh, go to the Breck Brew – all those places and, and get your wings, your nachos, that type of stuff to make it seem more like that game day Saturday or cook brats on your own, drink Breck Brews, all that good stuff. But for Buffs fans, at least, we are making it a requirement, joking requirement. But you got, if you own your 6236 DNVR shirt, you got to wear it, send us a picture in it. And then, I mean, if you're, have our Ram shirt, def, uh, defend the fort, definitely wear that for 4 p.m for the Rams game. Thanks for listening, and we will see you guys next week. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay inside, and hashtag DNVR watches when you're watching those games and tweet at us. Bye, everyone.